Welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast, here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus wherever you are and in whatever you're going through. I'm your host, Jez Field, and it's great to have you with us for another episode. Thanks for checking us out. Well, I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Dave Holden today about discipleship and mentoring. And if you're someone who's interested in how to make an impact for God in the lives of the people you care about, then I think you're going to be really helped by a lot of what Dave has to say. Now, we've got some great conversations coming up over the next few weeks that I'm excited to bring you. Conversations around sexuality, mental health and parenting that I'm sure are going to be sources of wisdom and encouragement for you. We've also got an email address that you can use to contact me about anything you'd like. Maybe you've got a guest idea or a topic that you think we should engage with. Or maybe you'd just like to say hi. That would be okay too. It'd be great to hear from you. We're very much in the early days of this podcasting journey together and I want to bring you along for the ride as much as I can. You can reach out to me by emailing podcast at newgroundchurches.org. Now, if you like all that you're hearing, please don't forget to like, subscribe and share today's episode in order to be kept up to date with all the conversations as and when they happen. Well, as we dive into today's topic and conversation, allow me to introduce Dave Holden to you. At the age of 22, Dave Holden became the lead pastor of New Community Church in Sidcup, South East London, where he's been for the past 42 years and is still there now as an elder, having handed on the senior leadership team of the church in 2013. David Holden is also the founder and apostolic leader of New Ground Churches. He's married to Liz. They have four adult children. And together, he and Liz travel extensively, encouraging leaders and serving churches where they can. Dave and I talk about the essential role of fathers and mothers in ministry, as well as the importance of remaining open to change alongside cultivating a deep and authentic relationship with God. To kick things off, I asked him about one of the key things he's learned over the past six months. I hope you enjoy the conversation. First of all, hello, Dave. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jez. It's fantastic to see you, as always. Well, I've been a little bit schizophrenic, and I think that's what I've probably learned. So when it all originally happened, the first month, um, I didn't do very well at all. I wasn't um, understanding the situation. I kind of despised it and uh, tried to fight against it. And after four weeks of doing that, realized that this was not a good move. So to answer your question, I think the first thing I learned about myself was I'm not very good when things in my world change overnight, which has obviously happened to everybody, I kind of went through a phase then when I just um, sort of embraced it. I embraced it in terms of not fighting it rather than liking it, because I don't think any of us have liked it, and began to realise that I had to change my lifestyle, I had to change all my travelling had stopped, and rather than getting annoyed about it, seeing it as a time of opportunity. I think I've done quite well generally since then, like everybody, I've had these moments of real tiredness and thinking, I'm not sure, you know, I'm going to be able to keep going. And obviously times like everybody else where you're a bit below par, you know, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, but generally speaking, I, I think we've got a new rhythm. Our lifestyle's changed. And I've been, I, I have learned to look for opportunities and I'm doing all sorts of things that I would never have done if this hadn't hadn't happened. So I think it is a good thing to try and say, well, God, you know, what are you going to do through me or what are you going to use through this? Um, So I I don't know where I am today because it's now been six or seven months. 
but I'm better than when I started, and I, I think I'm just better in terms of rhythms of life. Mm. I remember you wrote the book, uh, A Battle for Your Mind, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said that you wrote that after a prolonged se- season of sickness where you learned some valuable lessons about, um, I guess we might say, self-care and spiritual warfare. Um, can you uh, just touch on some of the things you might mention in that book and some of the lessons you learned during a season of sickness that it sounds like are the sort of things that could really help during a time of massive upheaval like a pandemic? Well, I, I, I kind of know that the phrase mental health can cover an awful lot of things these days. Um, But I genuinely believe that when something like this happens, the way you think, your thought processes are really, really important. And I think, although that book was written a long time ago, um, it still is saying basically the same stuff for today. So, for example, if you're in your thinking, you become overwhelmed by negative uh, thoughts. Uh, The answer isn't to just fight the negative thoughts, but it's to replace them. I guess a therapist would say, you know, a cognitive therapist would say with positive thoughts. But as Christians, the most positive thoughts you can have are God's thoughts, which are his word. And so I think this is a great time, particularly for leaders, actually, but for anybody to really, really fill your mind with the word of God. And those thoughts will then banish those very negative, anxious slightly overwhelming and despairing thoughts there you know the word of god has got something to say about every uh, thought or attack we have and of course the bible says take every thought captive and um so yeah i i i learned a lot through going through a prolonged period of difficulty uh, back in the day which is how that book came out but as the decades have gone by nothing's changed in terms of, you know, that word is still the same word that we need to hear today. Mm. So do you feel like you you learned some things there that have stayed with you throughout that uh, during a time like this, what are some of the disciplines and or just habits that you go to to help you? You know, you talked about schizophrenia and and, uh, and going backwards and forwards during the pandemic. What are some things that you learned to correct yourself the right way up in times of trial? Yeah, I mean, this morning I was just doing a pre-recording for a for churches um and it's this simple thing about learning how to walk through a time like this and i found the bible has loads to say about walking um and the walking is a kind of rhythmic thing it's a kind of progress slow and steady and i it sounds strange because it's not fireworks and very dramatic but i do think that having habits and having a lifestyle commitment which is pretty much the same day after day after day. The word, prayer, worship, doing things when you don't feel like it, going for a, literally going for a walk. Whatever it is to look after yourself is is important. I was really struck, you know, from everyone knows Psalm 23 and verse 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feel no evil for you are with me. I'm just struck by, oh, you don't stand in the valley. You don't wait for the valley to pass. You walk through it and God is walking through it with you. And and every day when I'm doing these mundane, you know, non-dramatic things and walking is pretty non-dramatic. Nevertheless, I'm making progress. Isn't that great? I'm going from strength to strength. So I I think this is a this is a season. I'm nervous, actually, of people who are a bit dramatic and excited at the moment. I'm 
I, the people I admire the most are the ones who are steady, you know, day after day, week after week. They're consistently the same. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, uh, rejoice always, pray ceaselessly and give thanks in all circumstances. That Those three phrases alone are habits which are brilliant for now rather than waiting for this to pass and then hoping you'll do it then. Chances are when this is passed, there'll be another thing you're dealing with. So nothing's changed. You know, let's do it now. Mm, well, that's really helpful, Dave. Thank you. Um, and I, just, I love, you know, one of the things that I've always appreciated about you is your both your your practical approach to Christian living. It feels very grounded in reality and experience, but there's a there's just a a security and safety that you bring to people as a spiritual father figure in people's lives. And it's kind of it's that subject that I really you know want to tease out some of your thoughts and comments on because uh, in my observation, my own life, but also I talk to a lot of peers and other people in leadership and observe it in the church. There is a a sort of craving in the heart of most Christians that I know of to have some kind of father figure or mother figure champion championing them. And I just, you know, I would love to hear your thoughts on A, have you had that in your life? Has that helped you develop? And, and B, what would be some of the, the tips that you'd give in how to mentor and become that for someone else? It's a great question. And as you say, it's a very, very big one. And, and you know, even Paul highlights it when he says there's not many fathers. And I think here we are 2000 years later and that cry is still the same. And um, for me, there's nothing like modeling something for somebody that's been modeled to you. And I don't know quite how I feel very grateful to God. Almost from the moment I became a Christian, I could rattle off actually quite a few people that I looked up to and some of them mentored me knowingly and some of them just did it unknowingly. It was just by kind of being with them. And uh, so over the years, there have been numerous people. I can hardly remember a time right up to today, actually, when I'm not still looking to people to have a fathering role. Now, I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. But that principle still doesn't kind of go away. And I had this fantastic privilege when I left theological college of going to live with Terry Virgo as a young single guy I literally lived in their family and uh, I don't know whether we ever sat down and, and you know mapped out what our relationship was going to be but by him being him and me being me we just had this relationship um, where I was fathered by him and I I guess over the years our relationships changed obviously I've got older and he's kind of gone on to other things um, but there's always, for years and years and years, I would have had a problem with asking lots of questions and uh, draining him of everything he knew about anything. I think that's a good way to do it. You know, just sat, just get like a sponge, take things from people. But but after Terry, if I could put it that way, I've been in several situations where I've had other people that have been a wonderful help. Um, I remember there's a couple in America called John and Linda Lampferman that Liz and I got very close to probably about 20 years ago now. We were struggling with a few things in, in, in the stage of life. Our kids were leaving home. And uh, we, we said to John and Linda, would you mentor us through this time? Because you're a bit ahead of us. Your kids have moved on. And please, would you speak into our lives? And unfortunately for me, they took it really seriously. <laughs> Every time we got together. 
off it go. You know, Dave, how are you? And what's the latest with this and this? And some of it was quite personal and quite, uh, you know, upfront. But it was massive. It shaped us in a tremendous way. So I've had the joy of being able to father or mentor numerous people over the years. But my motivation was that it did me good. So I'm sure it's going to do you good as well. And there have been times, of course, when I felt on my own and I felt a little bit like I'm having to work things out. And there is a place for you yourself growing up, you know, in that sense. But we're in a family. God places us in a body. He doesn't expect us to be isolated Christians or leaders doing our own thing. We are meant to be alongside people, shoulder to shoulder, learning things all the time. So I think my attitude has always been if there's someone that can help me, I really want to learn. And I think for me, it's a bit like when Paul said to Timothy, you know, um, you know, I'm passing these things on to you. I mean, trusting. I like that word to you that you might then entrust to others who are faithful. And I think I'm always looking to help people who are faithful, teachable, um, hungry to learn. Uh, just just want to grab hold of things that, that are in God and learn from other people. And I think I spend a, a, lot, a, a high percentage of my life right now doing that. And that's sometimes for individuals, but it's also sometimes to a whole crowd of people. It's two generational. It's, you know, that wonderful moment when two generations are being able to walk together. You mentioned you, you spend a lot of your life doing that at the moment. Um, there's obviously, a, it's not just the doing of it, it's the, there's the heart behind the doing of it. So what's your, what's your heart or thought process behind why, why you give yourself to other people like that? Well, you know, there's several answers to that question. But uh, firstly, um, it's an intentional desire. Um, you know... If there's another generation coming from behind you, I can't just bang on about the old days. That won't help anybody. If I think something was better in the past than it is now. So if, but if I can impart to people the same values and desires that, that I've got and it lives with them, then when I've left, it will continue. Does that make sense? So it's like it's a deliberate, intentional thing on my behalf because I want it to live in them. And it's not just head knowledge. There's something of an impartation, whether it's a passion for the things of the Holy Spirit or a longing that the grace of God might live in the next generation, the next generation, um, or, or a, a vision for the local church. I mean, I could go on and on, all sorts of things that I and others would have lived with. The reason behind my desire to um, pass this on is that they might live with it in them rather than just you remember when those old guys used to talk about this subject that's no good because it will become past but if it's in them if it's conviction that they've got you've then passed it on to them which is very very important i guess the other thing for me is um watching a whole new generation um, so so liz and i we would spend loads of our time now with uh, you know under 40s and with that whole new generation and it is because that this generation are fighting new battles. In fact, they're more gifted than I am to reach this generation with the gospel. But where I find there's a receptivity to me uh, 
even though this generation are obviously the ones gifted to reach this culture, is that the culture itself raises up all sorts of questions and issues. And so the conversation often is, what are those non-negotiable uh, things that have gone from creation, actually, right through the word of God? In my local church here, we've got a, a crowd that meets at six o'clock and they're mostly under 30 and many, many students. And it was obvious they wanted to do their meeting perhaps in a different way than we would do other meetings. So a big discussion about it. And we said, you can do whatever you like, except don't mess with these values. And we talked through what those, I think there are three or four values. And so it does look very different, but the values are just the same. And it's a good illustration of what needs to happen. I do not want to, <laughs> to carry an old way of doing things. We need to be creative. We need to be re relevant. We need to be passionate. But I think my generation has got some good things to say that are these non-negotiables, if you like, things that mm. don't change throughout the years. I mean, like we were talking earlier, you've been at New Community in SIGCUP for 42 years, I think you said. Um, so you will have seen a lot of change in ministry, a lot of cultural change. And uh, and, and yet you're someone who, who seems to embrace change on the one hand without being taken for a ride with just the latest fad. You're not someone I think of who just who just goes along with the latest, you know, new thing on the block that dies out. But at the same time, you don't seem to put the brakes on new ideas. How have you managed to stay so open and receptive to change? Well, I think I think if you if you're not trying to live your life or lead in your own strength, you're obviously dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He's a massive key. He keeps things new and fresh. And he keeps things new and fresh in you as a person. It's not my experience of the Holy Spirit 40 years ago that counts now. It's my experience today. So I really, really do think that I'm up to date, not because I read a lot or because I'm brilliant at technology. You've already discovered that I'm not today. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm up to date in terms of my now experience of God. There's nothing worse than a generation who can't adapt to change. I think that if I, if I wouldn't be talking to you today if that was so. I think I've been able to adapt because of a now experience of God and not being threatened by a new generation doing things that are different to the way that I did. Do you know, sometimes I, um, I get given some video clip or something of the old days and in those days it was cutting edge stuff when i look at it now i can't tell you how dated and old-fashioned everything <laughs> was and if we were still trying to do things today like we did then now at the time it was like wow mm. but it's moved on and everything's changed you know even worship styles have changed and attitudes have changed and some of them are really good and some of them are not so good you know my generation I think was like perhaps more committed to some things that the new generation are not so committed to that I think they should be so but do you understand it's, it's a case of, of, of having a now experience of God that means you're not threatened when things are done differently and I'm not it's not just me I'd love to take all my generation into the now experience of God, which looks different than it did 40 years ago. And you mentioned um, just then that not being threatened, um, which 
I, I, I see as a, a trait in you is that you come across as a man who's securing in his God. And I think part of what I observe, observe in how you're able to mentor and raise up other leaders is, is you do give off a, an attitude of you genuinely want them to go ahead of you or further than you in ministry. And yet I, I, I think it's, it's difficult for people to really live that out in practice because we're often so worried about our own you know, reputation or influence waning. And so we find it hard to release people into new things. You know, on th- in theory, of course, it's lovely to say, I, I must decrease that you increase about younger leaders. But in practice, that's very hard. And yet I've observed that in you, the way you've been able to hand over responsibility to people and champion them and enable them to fly without becoming insecure in your own role, in your own skin. Um, how, have you, how have you done that and walked that, that road? I, I honestly think the, the answer is identity. And I think um, if your identity is in what you do rather than who you are, and then what you do changes, it gets taken away by a whole younger generation, you're going to be a completely at sea. And I think that's where difficulties come with some guys of my generation. They're, they're all at sea. They, they, what do I do now? Where do I fit? Where do I sit on a Sunday morning? I mean, it's crazy, but that starts to happen because their identity has always been in their ministry or what they've done. So I think the answer to your question is, if our, if our uh, identity is who we are, then it doesn't really matter what you do and whether it comes or goes, because you're not looking to that to give you a sense of identity. Your identity is who you are in Christ. Transition is going to happen for everybody. So I'm talking to you, okay? Believe it or not, one day, and it's not so far as you think it is, you're going to have to transition to others coming along behind you. It's going to happen for everybody. And I just think it's a case of whether you do it well or whether you do it badly. And so to do it well, you have to be willing to give up. You mentioned earlier that Liz and I went to South Africa for a couple of years. In the year building up to that, um, I was doing lots of things in the New Frontiers world. And for one reason or another, these things kept being taken away from me and I didn't understand why. My whole role in the year changed. Other people, I handed, I kept handing things over to people. And I remember a friend of mine said, what do you do nowadays? <laughs> because everything I had been doing was gone. And then tragically, when Simon Pettit died and I suddenly found myself in a position where I realized, oh, that's why I gave everything away. Because now God was opening up a completely new thing I didn't understand. But I went through a period of time where I, I was really um, surprised how much my identity is in what I did. Went through a really rocky time as all these things went. But that was the key for me then, and I've tried to stay with that now. I will be transitioning new, new grounds in the next however many, however many years. And so, again, that, that's got emotional pain to it. It's obviously got, you know, all sorts of questions. But because I know it's the right thing to do, because my identity is in Christ, when it happens, I don't think my world's going to fall apart because, you know, it's wonderful. Your identity in Jesus stays exactly the same. It doesn't change. It just keeps growing. The outer man is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed. And if we can live there, all our emotions and questions, they'll all get dealt with because your security is in who you are in Christ. And I spoke in the States a few years ago, they, New Frontiers things going through a big transition, and I actually said, uh, please stand up if you're over 40. So the over 40s all stood up, and I said, 
if you're not transitioning now, then you're in, in you're in big trouble. And I said, if you're under 40, would you stand? And I said, if you are not looking to somebody that can transition to you, you're also in trouble. And I, I just think it's a, it's the world that we live in, and it's a really good world. Making disciples is a bit of getting out, making yourself redundant, so that what you used to do, they'll start doing as well. And that's true right across the church, whether you're a youth leader, small group leader, worship leader, you know, elder, apostle, whatever. It's all an intentional mentoring that is handing over all the time to others. And that should be in our DNA as local churches, big time. How do you get that into your DNA as local churches? <laughs> is that a personal question for you? No, I, I think it's, um, it, it, it is a mindset or a mind shift that you need to have. And I really think that, you know, this issue of making disciples is one of those non-negotiable things down through the generations. And your church won't grow unless it's something you're passionate about, because, you know, a great pastor isn't someone who pastors everybody. A great pastor is somebody who raises up people alongside him, men and women who can pastor together. And that church will keep growing and growing and growing. So I think the answer to your question is you just got to get it into the DNA and the culture of the church from day one. You know, if you're planting a church, get it in. It's, right in the, it's one of those foundational issues right in the early days. And that's a deliberate, intentional thing. And I would teach on it. I would talk about it a lot. I'd make adjustments in local church life if I felt it wasn't happening. In making disciples, which is the sort of thing you and I are talking about today, is absolutely crucial. And, you know, if I can be controversial for a moment, if there's anything in church structure that's not making disciples, then you should seriously consider binning it. <laughs> because what is it producing? So if you've got a small group, <coughs> a small group structure doesn't automatically make disciples. So if it's not making disciples, but something else, that really needs to be look, looked at. Because it should be in the warp and woof of everything that we're doing. That's true of even leading an apostolic team. You're always looking for the transition, the making of disciples. Who can I bring alongside me? Can we go on the road together? What can I give away, etc. Mm. So you're using the, the term there, making disciples, to, to mean handing on responsibility to other people or re reproducing things in others. Is that what you're saying? The goal of really making disciples, the goal is delegation, isn't it? So that... The joy of it is when you're mentoring somebody and you're learning how to do it, um, you know, you have a go. It's like an apprenticeship. But the joy of it all is when they don't need you to be around anymore. And so that is a terrific goal to have when you're making disciples. You know, I'm, I raised four kids. Um, the goal of my parenting um, was when they left home, that they might go and be parents themselves, which they all are, and do a great job of parenting. The goal was never to keep them at home. <laughs> the goal was to kind of delegate them to be parents themselves. And so that principle is the same in church life. Fathers produce sons who become fathers, and they then father other people as well. 
I mean, you, so you, having been a new community for that length of time, the, it, I can imagine it would be very easy for the church to just become dependent on its almost founding father, its founding pastor, who's been there for 42 years. And yet you've been able to hand on the leadership of the church and still remain on the eldership. And does the, does the church see you? Although, you know, you might say James is the leader. Does the church relate to you as its founding father still? And what's the dynamic there? Um, how do you make sure that the church doesn't become too dependent on you? Well, I, I think there is a fathering role that I would play here. And James, as you said, who now leads the church, um, would actually ask me to do that role when appropriate. Um, but when I handed the church over to James, it was it was a it was so clear um, and 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 so right that um, we didn't have one single person have a problem with it, even those that have been with me all the way through the decades. And I remember on the occasion of the handover, saying to the church, "Some of you think." that I'm handing over to James because of new ground, that my world is now so big I haven't got time to do that. But I said to the church, do you know, even if there was no such thing as new ground and I wasn't doing it, I would still be doing this this evening because I believe that this man is a better leader than I am to lead this church into its future. So it was done very clear. And I think that's opened the door for, for me still being around. And I... It's wonderful. There's not a single person that thinks I'm leading this church. They're all looking to the new generation coming through without any doubt. And it is, it is you know, it's a, there are more and more models of this happening now where a person is able to hand over and still stay. That's not always easy. And a big key was my relationship with James and him with me. And it is, still is to that day. We meet as couples every month. We spend ages talking to one another all the time. And I will just disappear. It comes from him and not from me. So he'll say, what do you think about such and such? So I think relationally, I've watched some transitions happen and it's not gone well. Nine times out of ten, it's because they didn't, they didn't form a relationship. So they got threatened by one another as the journey went on together. Mm. There's a way to do this, which is wonderful. And I think, you know, we're, he and I are now modeling something, to be honest, that could be repeated again and again in the years to come. And obviously if it's right for an older person to move on because that's appropriate, then it's great. And James and I have had very candid conversations that have involved, you know, if there's an issue and uh, if, it, if there's something where we can't work together, then I'm leaving not him. So it's kind of like it's all up front. So so there are times when it's appropriate to move on to something new. But, you know, if you can work it out, then it's it's great. I and mean, I'm thinking about you just were talking. I, I, it's that rather strange scripture, isn't it? Where, it, it, you know, the writer says, I'm speaking to you as fathers and speaking to you as young men or sons. It's a strange little list, presuming that all of them are in the church. It's multi-generational. And I, I just think that must mean they had multi-generational church life in the New Testament. That's why I believe it can happen today as well. Hmm. I, I'm picking up that, you know, certainly one of the major keys to 
championing championing and mentoring others is it having an authentic relationship of your own with God you know you responded to change by saying you, you're staying with the now call of God and the now voice of God and what God's doing in this present moment rather than just 20 years ago you know you responded to challenges and trials by making sure that your identity is rooted in him there's an authenticity to your to your relationship and your life in God but it strikes me then that the another major key in this is an authenticity of relationship with those that you're mentoring and handing on to um do you do you think we we find that difficult in our I guess overconnected, over busy age where we want to, we're, we're very task oriented and we can fall into the trap of approaching church like a job because for some of us it is a job um, and particularly many people who are doing jobs listening to this it is their job so how do you make sure that you know if you build an authentic relationship with someone that isn't just professional and getting a job done because it, that won't stand the test of time by the sounds of it well I, and I think if you genuinely believe that Jesus is building the church that you work for or that you're a part of then the expression of that church that we see in the new testament would surely be expressed today what do we see in the new testament we do not see a church built on organization and kind of working type relationships we see uh affection and warmth some of it's a little bit you know embarrassing the way that paul talks about how i long for you you know and it's like it is so relational, it's so wonderful. And so surely the church that Jesus is building today will be reflecting that. And it does take time and it is inconvenient. Um, you, you think, well, if we're going to build relationally, then, you know, one of the things that I implemented here that James has passionately continued is that we as elders and wives have an evening together every month where we have a three-course meal, we share our lives, we laugh, we break bread. Sometimes we talk about an issue, sometimes we pray for one another. And that's the first thing that goes in our diary every year. And um, for us, it's not a chore that we've got to do this. It's building something into the DNA of us to make sure as elders we're friends, and then that seeps through into the life of the church. And this might sound a bit strange, but I wonder whether COVID is one of those moments. I mean, this, that's, this is another subject altogether, obviously, not for another day. Why is this happening? But one of them is I think a big pause button has come on the way that we did church. And I've spoken to several pastors, some outside of New Frontiers that lead big churches. And before this happened, they were beginning to be troubled by the way that church had grown and buildings had become the big thing. And they were drawing a crowd. And some of that crowd didn't want to join the church. They just wanted to come on Sundays. And they started, what are, what are we building? You know, we're not making disciples. We're just gathering a crowd. And then COVID hits, no buildings, no meetings. The crowd, some of them have presumably kind of just disappeared a little bit. So I really wonder whether a positive thing to come out of this, haven't we got to go back? to being genuinely relational and the wineskins that we will build in the future, which will be different from the way we did things pre-COVID, that they should have an emphasis about them that's far more fellowship, relational, you know, Holy Spirit, prayer, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm really praying that that will be the case. I mean, Mike Pelavacci, most people know him, I think a year or two ago, he had basically one message that he was preaching everywhere. 
which was fundamentally um, the church has become too organisational in the UK. And we need to get back to being fathers and mothers producing sons and daughters. And I know some people hearing it were thinking, I believe this, but I don't know how to do it. Well, I think now we've got an opportunity to do it. And Mike, Mike thing was, lots of people think more organisation, more growth. His point was very simple. How do families grow? Well, mums and dads produce children. That's how the church will grow. It doesn't need, organisation's good and appropriate. Administra administration is a Holy Spirit gift. I passionately believe that, but not at the expense of relation, relationship and being family. So we've got to find a way to make sure that's a priority. What would you say to to people within a local church who are wanting to um, be mentored by someone and give themselves to someone? What are some things that they really should be putting into place in their own life that's going to help them? Um, you know, like you said about not being not being organisationally driven and investing themselves in relationship. Um, what would be some advice that you've got for people on, on that? Very simply, to start to pray and to start to say, Lord, I really do need people in my life. Would you bring people into my life that would mentor me? I remember leaving theological college and I didn't know what to do. I, all I knew was God had called me to leadership, but I had, an, I had no idea where or what that was. And I remember crying out to God, and saying, Lord, I've done three years of theology. I do not feel ready to lead anything at the moment. And I remember praying, God, is there, is there somebody who could father me? Is there somebody that could help me and mentor me? And God answered that prayer through Terry and I quite miraculously coming together. Um, and so simplistically, that's what happened to me. <laughs> I don't know any other better way. And I if, you've got, if you don't want to go it alone and you're passionate to grow in God and you believe that one of the ways that this could happen is by men, people mentoring you, then that would be my first, my first encouragement. And then the second thing would be just serve. Because the reason that's important is people, um, people look at people who serve. So when Paul said to Timothy, pass this on to faithful people, he's really saying, Find people who serve. It's not the person who prophesies on a Sunday morning on the platform. I mean, it might be, but that's not the only quality. In fact, the greater quality is faithfulness and teachability. So put yourself, pray that God will bring people into your life. It'll happen. And secondly, just get on and serve because people will look at you. I mean, Paul, you know, turns up at a church and he says, who's that young man? And, and I want to take him with me. Well, why did he say that? It wasn't because Timothy was a good preacher. He and elders in that church obviously had observed somebody who he could mentor. Yeah, he's a really good guy. This guy's serving. He's in the background, but he's passionate for God. So I would say that all of us who desire that should, should go down that road, really getting stuck into local church serving and people will start to get hold of you and input your life because they've already seen fruit that's coming out of your life as you follow Jesus. I mean, there's a couple of things. There's probably other things, but I, I, I do think that's something that 
people mm. listening to this who are thinking, well, I'm not in that kind of relationship, then start to move towards it. Because mm. you can't organise this. You know, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if you and I in our churches could say, OK, you with him, you know, you with them, it's a bit strictly come dancing, you know, this is your partner. It's not going to work like that in church. It has to work in a natural, relational, organic, growing kind of way. And mm. you know, the guys that I've mentored over the years, both locally and translocally, were guys that it just happened naturally and relationally, and we just started to hang out together. And it just built on from there. It was never something organised. That's good. Just like, making disciples and mentoring does strike me as one of those things that we're all agreed is very important, but we're also all agreed it's very hard to organise this so that it happens well. <laughs> um, and it, it does seem to me that uh, yeah, your example of almost praying with your eyes and then looking with your, looking around with your eyes open, pray and then open your eyes, pray and then open your eyes, see who is there that I can be pouring myself into. Of course, that that requires you as an individual to to approach the body of Christ and the people of God with a with a servant-hearted mentality that says I'm here to give rather than receive and I guess what you're saying in part of what you said a moment ago rather is with the pandemic we're almost at a place where we're stripping away consumers from church because there's not much to consume um, at the moment apart from some videos um but is that, is that a shift that you've observed in the last 40 years of ministry? Just the average Christian's approach to church, is that something that's concerned you? And, and what are some ways other than the pandemic that you would suggest we can address that? Yeah, I mean, it would be a concern. And it would be a concern for leaders in my church who are 35 years old. It's not just the old guy who's concerned. You're not as committed as we used to be in the early days. Um, and I, I, yeah, it would be a concern because it reflects the culture, I think. It's more and more as the culture is consumerist that's come into Christianity. So we're very consumerist. Actually, under COVID, um, some of it's just carried on. You've just become more consumerist in terms of your the availability of more material and you can pick and choose. And I prefer their worship to ours and his teachings better than Jez Field's. Um, you know, so I'm going to go listen to that. <laughs> I, I find all of that very sad and wrong, to be honest with you, because I think you need you need just to be committed. You need to be loyal and faithful and stick with it. This is not a time for going off and doing your thing. It's a time for coming together. And even if your church is not the most cracking, you know, all guns blazing place. So what? It's where God's put you. And there needs to be something in the new generation that says, you know, I'm covenanted to this. I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to give myself to this because this is where God is. And rather than complaining about what the church is like, you make the difference yourself by saying, mm -hmm. okay, this is where I'm here. I'm going to make sure that I'm playing my part. And who knows that might um, change what else is going on. But this is a this is a modern day issue. And I think COVID is trying to strip back um, all these issues in people's lives. I really do. So you're just ending up with the simplistic gospel follower of Jesus committed to your local church, uh, which to some people all sounds rather bland. I think it sounds fantastic. You know, the best thing happening on planet Earth is the local church. There's nothing better happening than that. So why not give yourself to it and be involved in it? So 
Yeah, I, I it is a concern, but I think God's on it, and I think He's teaching people about it. And I, I, I may be idealistic, but I think we're going to have another um, encounter with the Holy Spirit. I think we're, there's going to be another. Uh, we need it. I think the, the Holy Spirit is going to visit the church. And I don't think it's going to be about phenomena and all that sort of thing. I don't really don't. I think it's going to be about these deeper issues of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and a radical disciple and uh, a passionate, committed member of the local church. I, I think it's going to push us in that way, which will be absolutely fantastic. Mm. The church might be stripped back through this period of time. But I think it's going to, there's a purist, there's a purifying, a refining, if you like, that's going to mean when we come through the other side, there's going to be a deeper commitment to Jesus. Mm, amen. Amen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, let's hope so. <laughs> um, Dave, our, our time together is almost up. I just, I'd love to throw it out to see if there's any other just thoughts that you'd love to share before we go or if you've, um, yeah, anything else on your heart or mind to share? I suppose I would say, can I just say one thing, which is, again, for leaders and non-leaders that might be listening to this, I think I've never known a time um, in those 40 years that you've conveniently mentioned. or (laughs) At least two or three times, yeah. um, And over these 40 years, I have never known a time where I felt my limitations greater than now, you know, you just get up in the morning and you're aware of your restrictions and limitations and you're aware of your weaknesses, I guess. Um, yeah, I've never known a time where it felt so vulnerable, weak, limited. And then it slowly you get to the place where you da- it dawns on you that it's actually a great place to be in. Do you understand? Because it's like you can fight that kind of thing. When you've come to the end of yourself and you realize I am limited, you know, I only have these years on the planet and, um, you know, I am restricted and vulnerable and I am a weak person. That's the very moment that God can really, really use you for his glory. So I'd say to anyone listening, if you're feeling weak and vulnerable and limited at the moment and your interpretation of that is very negative and what's the matter with me and I should do better. And I would say to you, you're on the wrong track, <laughs> because actually, when you come to this place of weakness, the Apostle Paul said, when I am weak, then I'm strong. I will boast in my weakness that the power of Christ might be manifest. And maybe not in, only as individuals, but as a church, mm. we might have never felt so impotent. You know, we can't even go out and, you know, do things. It's just so limited. We can't all gather on a Sunday and bring our friends um and, and and we might think well you know very negative things about that i believe that we should turn that around and see this is god's opportunity to use us in our weakness so that we'll come to a place when it's let the weak say i am strong i can do all things through christ wow dave that's a brilliant place to leave it Oh, thank you so much for your time this afternoon and for and for all the years of uh, inputting into me personally. I'm so, so grateful and benefited hugely. And as I said, your your role as a father who, who comes across as someone who genuinely believes in other people's good and want to see them flourish and thrive is, um, yeah, is an amazing legacy. And thank you so much for that. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, I hope you found that as helpful and inspiring as I did. I love how he emphasised the importance of separating your identity from your role as a key to remaining able to change roles without it causing a major crisis, something that I think is really quite critical. Well, building on the theme of discipleship and leadership, I had a really interesting conversation recently with Simon Holly, a key leader within New Frontiers, that I think you're going to also really benefit from. Here's a quick snapshot and trailer of that conversation. It really exposed a lie in me, which was, if people know who you really are, they won't want to follow you. That's, that was the lie, that when, it, when we, in, in before the Lord, that's where we got to. And the Holy Spirit just said to me, that's a lie. The truth is, if they know who you really are, they'll want to follow you more. And I was like, this feels pretty risky. <laughs> but anyway, Talking with one of my other elders, we wrestled. I remember the conversation. We wrestled along over hard on whether I should do it. And in the end, decided, I just feel this is of God. And so I did it. Well, that is exactly what, what, what the Holy Spirit prophesied was exactly what's happened. Well, friends, that's what we've got to look forward to next time. It's been lovely being together again in this episode. I trust and pray that you're well. And I look forward to that next conversation. God bless you. See you soon. Bye.